morning we'll be in Matthew 27. I'm going to start this morning by reading 32. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross, meaning Christ. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross, so also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. He desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Remember, robbers, plural, S, both on his right and his left, ridiculed him in the same way. This morning, there are, specifically in the realm of Christianity, there are two important holidays for us. Specifically, as you think of Christmas and all that comes with it, which is the, the, the coming of Messiah, Emmanuel, God is with us, the birth of Christ. This morning, Easter, or some call it Resurrection Sunday, the death and the resurrection of Christ. You see, at Christmas, we often talk about the miracles surrounded Christmas. We talk about the virgin birth, perhaps, and angels' visitations. We talk about a star that guided men to where Jesus lay. But we do not often pay much attention to the miracles at the death of Jesus Christ. So at Easter, this this Resurrection Sunday, I want us to go, if we can, for a moment in this morning's message, back to the cross, back to Friday. For the Resurrection Sunday and the miracles that are are placed there, or we're going to see in our text this morning, is those three hours, three hours which people have called the silent hours. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you'll see this morning, there's nothing silent about what's going on in these three hours while Christ is on a cross. Uh, like bookends, you know, you go to, if you go out, to, out there to the shelf and there's books and they hold one up on one side and one side the other so it doesn't fall down, it is Easter on one end at the end and at the beginning uh, you have uh, 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 Christmas. So this morning, I want us to look at that other bookend, which is the last few hours of Jesus' life and the miracles that are associated with that text. So this morning, uh, by way of introduction, there it is. So if we can, let us stand together in reverence of this word that we are going to uh, be preaching through this morning. And it says there, specifically this morning from 45 to 54, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama bachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders here, it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and and Joseph and the mother of the sons of of Zebedee. You may be seated this morning. Father God, we come. I pray that you would be uh, with us this morning through your word. Your word is truth. Your word is power. It is immutable. It does not change, Lord God. And we are so grateful that your word does not change in regards to the culture in which we may find ourselves. This is good news. Be with us this morning as we open up your word. Seek to understand better what is going on before us as we celebrate this morning, this resurrection day. Be honored and glorified, O God. Help us now, we do pray. Amen. If you bear with me really quickly, I want you to go ahead and sit down so I can keep you standing for too long. But if you allow me to, let me finish the rest of this chapter. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal his body away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go. Make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. That is really, really, really important this morning. That's going to be really, really, really important this morning. But this morning, what I want to do, let me see if I can get these things. Am I even, I didn't even ask if I was turned on. And I never looked up either. I'm just so excited. You're going to be able to hear me. People down the street are going to hear me this morning, okay? Let me see. Let me turn this thing on. I'm going to try to use this as best I can. If not, it's all back up to you in the crow's nest, okay? All right. She's ready. This morning, I want us to view a couple things or see a couple things. From this morning's text, there are five miracles at Jesus' crucifixion. You're sitting there going, yes, Kyle, you just said there are five miracles at Jesus' crucifixion, but on your notes, you have four. Yes, I do. I know I'm not really great at math. But I promise it was intentional, all right? There is a fifth one. I'm holding it close to my chest until the very end, okay? 
So this morning, I want us to look at one, the sky turns dark. Number two, a veil is torn. Number three, we see that the earth shakes. And four, we see the dead or certain dead are raised. So number one this morning, miracle number one is the sky turns dark. You see, when Jesus was born at Christmas, we're looking at the bookends here, if you remember what happens at the birth of Jesus Christ is light, 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 all is light. Light is entered in the world. It says that the world was darkness. It was longing for the light. And Jesus in his birth, when he comes, all we see is light everywhere. Here, at the conclusion of Jesus' life, if it began with light, it is now ending in darkness. The light was with us, and the light has left, and the lighting is leaving. The darkness will soon envelop. And I would say that this is an interesting juxtaposition this morning for us. And you see this in 45 through 46. And it says, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eliah, Eliah, lama bachthani, which is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I want you to know something about the sixth and the ninth hour. This is absolutely important too. The sixth hour is what we call high noon. When the sun is the highest in the sky, it's the hottest time of the day. It's when if you're going to go somewhere and you want to stay out of the, if you want some shade, you don't go out high noon, right? Unless there's clouds in the sky, of course, okay? There's always some, somebody on there, right? Look, it's hot. It's when the sun is supposed to be at its brightest. And here we are, noon, and it says that the earth does what? The sky turns what? Dark. Darkness, which, which means that up to this point, there's a, it, 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 it's specifying something in the text. It wasn't dark, it wasn't cloudy, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like there was a cloud in the sky, and all of a sudden, at noon, bam, the earth turns dark. Some say even maybe like what a, a solar eclipse uh, or, or it comes through, and, and it's just completely darkness. An ominous sight. I know that when we lived in Iowa, well, sometimes the storms would come and you'd see the dark thunderclouds roll in. And in that area, we're, we're prone to tornadoes. And it kind of got really, really scary at times when everything gets kind of weird and, and silent. And yet the birds stop chirping. Life seems to wind down and everything's dark until that storm comes. Begin to vision and wonder what it looked like that day. Six hour, which is noon, until the ninth hour, which is three o'clock. From noon until 3 o'clock, the earth grows dark. These hours between noon and 3 have been labeled the silent hours. Much is going on before these hours. We see the arrest of Jesus, the trial, the beating, the mocking, the march to Golgotha, eventually death on a cross or being crucified to a cross. And after these three hours, we're going to see here in a second the miracles that are associated right after this time frame. But I have a question for us. What happened during these hours of darkness? Three hours. Those who, uh, during those hours, the Son of God, listen, took the burden of our sins upon himself. He was punished for them in our place and experienced such terrible alienation and agony from the Father that he cried out at the end of this dark period, Eliah, Eliah, lama botch 
which says and means, my God, my God, my Father, my Father, why, question asked by Jesus, have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Not only does darkness signify punishment in the Bible, it also signifies separation in the Scripture. What I want you to know this morning is this. Listen, God turns his back on his son. God sees Christ there and turns his back on Christ. Why is this so significant? Because this has never happened in all of eternity. This never had happened. It said that in the beginning, God, for, in Jesus Christ, the, 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 the Trinity beheld each other's glory, and they were just fine. Had always been in communion, always one. But what you see in this moment, in these three hours specifically, the disciples have now left him. He had no angel to comfort him as in the past, and now God the Father himself will not even look upon his son. What you need to know, that in these specific three hours, Christ Jesus is utterly alone. For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus is alone. In this moment, we are given a visual picture of God's relationship with sin. If God did not spare his son due to sin, how do you think he will look upon yours apart from him? And Jesus' agony is twofold this morning. Number one, or A, uh, he is without the Father. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration that's very, very trivial in comparison to what Christ is experiencing. You're gonna, when I'm finished with it, you're going to be like, eh, Kyle, nah. A couple, a long time ago now, Josiah was just a little tiny guy, and we were in Walmart, and we were going through there, and we were trying to, uh, we were looking around, and he kept looking, Josiah, all of us have different personalities, don't we, Josiah? Josiah's is, he sees something, and he sees something. Does he see anything else? No, he just sees something. And he kind of get tractor beamed into these things, and I say, hey, hey, son, come with us, stay by your daddy, we go, go around the corner of the aisle, and guess who wasn't there? Josiah wasn't there. And it was one of these days where, like, it was like six or seven times I was like, oh, my goodness, this is ridiculous. I'm going to have to teach him a lesson. So Josiah's sitting there probably in the toilet aisle or something like that. I can't remember where it was. I remember being, I remember hiding behind some clothes, though. You know, you know, you know the, the clothes that have the circle thing? Back in the 80s, we used to hide in them, and you can hide in them, and your mom and dad didn't know where you were. Do you all remember these things? So it's the circular rack. Well, I'm up in the circular rack kind of doing this, and I'm watching Josiah. I just want to see, I'm just watching him. How, what, does he, what does he do? When he realizes and he looks up, how long would it took him to realize he didn't have his dad? Some of you right now are going to call, like, you know, CPS on me, like I'm in trouble right now. Like, but it, it, I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting there watching him. I, I listen, he's, he's completely fine. He's safe in the, in the eyes of his father. I'm there. But he doesn't know that. And as he begins to get bored with whatever he's doing, he starts to look up. And he says, Dad? Dad? And I watch him run to the other aisle. I'm following behind like a creeper. <laughs> Dad! And he's running down the aisle. Dad! At this point, you're saying, you should have already made yourself known. Just wait. Well, I, I wanted him to feel the utter fear of not having his father. And remember that feeling. 
Because when I say be near me, be near me. But I remember, honestly, if it makes you feel any better, some of you guys who are not like me, I did start feeling very, very guilty really, really quick when I saw utter fear in tears. He bust out and crying. Then I felt like a horrible father, okay? Just try, just be honest with you. I was like, oh, man, I'm horrible. But the utter fear on his face, not where's my dad? Where's my safety? I'm alone in this place. What's going to happen to me? Loneliness, fear became Josiah. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. In this moment, Jesus is on a cross, and God literally turns his back on his son. And for the first time in human history, Jesus in the flesh, being man as we are man and woman, says, I have no one. For the first time ever, I look up, and my father is not there. For he has turned his back on his son. Not only has God turned his back on his son, but Jesus in the text says, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Which is even more powerful in meaning. Here we see God's wrath was being poured out on Christ, the full weight of the wrath of Almighty God in his holiness, in his goodness, in his righteousness. God is a good God and he will deal with sin. And in this moment when Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? What you need to understand is not only is it the turning of a father's back, but it is the stern hand of the discipline of the, the one who is Father and Lord. And Jesus on that cross, in three hours specifically, in the darkness, takes the full penalty of the wrath of Almighty God, which is, by the way, I need you to know something. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. The cross is not the cross is a symbol of all of God's attributes in one moment. God's wrath, injustice, his love, grace, and mercy, all seen at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus is taking the whole hand of God against the penalty and the sin of mankind. If you remember, there's a picture of this just a couple uh, days before, or, or the night before. You remember when he's in Gethsemane, and he's praying, Lord, if you allow this cup to pass for me, and so be it. And what does it say? That in his flesh, in his humanity, Jesus was so in disarray that he began to sweat what? Blood. Jesus bled before he went to the cross, brothers and sisters. Jesus bled before he ever went to the cross because God was putting on the wrath, the justice of God on one who was pure and clean and holy and did not deserve such treatment. Let me tell you something. All that Christ experienced prior to the cross, and even the cross itself, listen, really, I mean this, is a walk in the park in comparison to the three hours in particular. Christ in this moment takes the cup of God's wrath and he drinks it down to the very last drop. Psalm. Psalm 75, 8 says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours it out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drink it down to the dregs. I use this every Easter, and I'm not going to stop. I'll use it every single Easter. Y'all know the story. I've already said it. You know, going on a long trip, and you go with your kids. I've got four of them. And you go and you drive, and maybe this is full of, like, Coca-Cola or something like that. 
and I'm getting my kids, you know, the drink. They're, they're getting to have all the, 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 the snacks that they want, Cheetos and Oreos and uh, McDonald's french fries half-eaten. Daddy, 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 let me have a swig of your drink. That's so gross in COVID America, right? right? But still, one kid, I've got four. I know what happens. You know what happens, right? You start sharing it. The whole, the whole kids get it. They all do their thing. It comes back to daddy, and they leave me about this much. You know what I'm saying? They've already drank all of it. They've done their business. They, they give daddy that much left. But, they, they, but they're very givers. They, they didn't just leave it empty. They gave me some more stuff. Aha. Look at all those Cheetos and, wow, French fries. And, mmm, looks great. I'm so I'm parched. I need to drink something. It's gross. Nobody wants it. The issue that we have here before us is it says that there is a cup in the hand of Almighty God and it is frothy and it is well mixed and it settles to the bottom and it says it is the cup of God's wrath and what she'll pour out on all those who are enemies of God, by the way. Why do bad things happen to good people? Show me one who's good. Show me one who's good. God's punishment comes upon those who are enemies of God apart from the saving knowledge and work of Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus takes the cup in Gethsemane. He says, if you allow this cup to pass to me, so be it, Lord. But not as I will, but your will be done. In the flesh, he was fearful. Maybe, yes, he knows what's coming, but then he says, your will be done. And he carries out God's will. And guess what happens in three hours on a cross? Jesus Christ takes that cup, and he drinks it down to the very dregs, the nasty stuff at the bottom that no one wants to drink. And we say, ooh, Jesus Christ puts it upon his lip, and he drinks it down to the very last drop. Then having done this, Jesus in the text, it says, cries out. Well, I want to tell you what he cries out because we see it in John 19 through 30. So it says here that he, he cries out, he hangs his head and gives up the spirit. In John 19, 30, it says, it is finished. Testelestai, it is accomplished. It is done. Jesus drinks down the cup of God's wrath in a way that none of us can and says it is finished. And in verse he says he yields up his spirit the word yielded in our text is an act of volition meaning Jesus's life was not taken Jesus's life was given freely given not stolen not by accident this death was purposed and it was intentioned and interestingly while we're still talking about third and ninth hour let me tell you something about really really interesting about the ninth hour why are these times so important are they by chance I would tell you right now, I do not believe so. The ninth hour is 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock in Judaism on the day of Passover. Guess what is going on? Literally, over there at the temple, Jesus is outside the city gates at a place called Gotha. He's on a cross, and it says at the ninth hour, he says, Testelestai, it is finished, it is accomplished. It says he heads, lays down his head, and he gives up his spirit. At the very same moment, 3 o'clock, the ninth hour, over in the temple, guess what the priests are doing? They are killing the last Passover lamb for Passover, and they begin to shoot, uh, shoot off the shofar. That was the shofar, that's what I was doing. Jesus on a cross says it is accomplished it is finished they sacrificed the last sacrifice for the man's sins at Passover and guess what truthfully speaking the last and final 
lamb was being crucified in the place of everything that happened in the temple ever again. The shofar rings at the ninth hour that Jesus gives up his very life. Coincidence? I think not. I think not. Miracle number two. At this very hour, he hangs down his head. He gives up his spirit. Something's going on over the temple. They're worshiping over there. They're doing some things. And then something happens in verse 51a. And it says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. From top to bottom. What I want you to understand about that, why is that so important? Why it's so important is it's from the top to bottom, suggesting that this was an act of God and not man. I'm not going to give you all the details of the curtain. It's thick. It, it, crazy thick. Uh, it, it, it's tall. It's, I, and I, I had a picture, and I was like, no, I'm not going to do any pictures because, because Scott Likens always tells me, you're cheesy pictures. I'll deal with you. We'll deal with you later. This, 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 uh, the Holy of Holies, as it said in the temple, this is when, if you remember, this, this uh, curtain separated humans and humanity with God's very presence. Once a year, time of Yom Kippur, guess what? They would go into the, the, the Holy of Holies, a priest, one priest. It was such a dangerous place to be as a human being in our sin that literally they had ritual to purify and wash themselves clean in order to go before God and do the sacrifice for the nation of Israel one time a year that they would actually tie a rope around the priest's leg and they have little jingle bells, little bells on. Jing, 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 jing. And as he's wrestling around in there, you hear jingle, 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 jing. And guess what? When you didn't hear any more jingle, 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 jing, guess what the rope was for? Dead man. Uh-oh. Wow, that didn't work out. Who wants to be the priest that year? Not me. <laughs> this is so holy of a situation. This is the presence of Almighty God for the nation of Israel. And it says that from the top, not the bottom, which means none of us got a hold of it. Not, no, no grubby little man or woman got in there and was able to take it and rip it on their own accord. It was ripped from the top down, which means God did something. At the 11th hour, excuse me, the ninth hour, Jesus hangs his head. The shofar rings. The, the final sacrifice for man's penalty for sin is established. And then the ripping of the temple veil, God says, I have left the building. The veil that divided the holy place from the holy of holies pointed to the enormous separation and the division that existed between God and man due to sin. In other words, the, the veil said to man, you may come this far, but no further. And remember, that priest goes once a year. Here we see something very massive. By the veil being torn, Jesus establishes that everything that the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to were now being, being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There was no need for further sacrifices. Brothers and sisters, listen. No longer did we need an earthly priest. God establishes now that through Jesus, our Savior, our Mediator, and our Lord, there was no longer a separation between God and man due to his sin. We now, every one of us, have the ability to commune with God. The dividing wall has been torn. God has left the building. This is incredibly good news. Let me, let, me, let me show you this in the book of Ephesians 2, 
14 through 16. Speaking of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. Listen, so making peace, making peace, so making peace and might reconcile, reconcile, which means bring back into relationship us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In Jesus Christ, there was no longer any separation. In Jesus Christ, the veil was no longer needed. Interestingly, we know that in the temple, it was, it was not destroyed from this moment until 40 years later. Meaning that the priests, listen to this, I've always found this very interesting. Which means if the temple was not destroyed until 40 years later, that torn veil didn't stay torn, did it? So which means something had to probably happen. They either put a new, uh, a new one in its place, or I still like the imagery of man in his grubby hands sometimes. That means the priest got together with some yarn and some thread and sewed that thing back together. What Christ Jesus has established. Why would we ever try to sew it back? But we do it all the time in religion, don't we? Try to, try to, with our own strength and hands, to sew up something that Jesus Christ says, I have accomplished it. I have done it. Why, I, my sacrifice is good. My work is good. And we say, God, it's good and all, but you need our help. Forty more years before the temple's actually destroyed. That torn veil was a gift to God to man. And what did we do? We sewed it back. Maybe you hear little things like this. Well, we've never done it this way before. Huh? Huh? Well, you know, the tradition is we, the, the veil was all... Ah. Jesus was doing something incredible. And interesting, this means that at some point the priest had to have done something with that veil. And here's the encouragement I want to give us this morning, brothers and sisters. Make sure in your own life not to sew back the veil. Don't repair that which Christ died to liberate you from. Be sure that you, by, that you, having been liberated by the blood and the sacrifice of Christ, are not now trying to once again earn our salvation or trying to get God's attention through dead religious practice apart from and or in correlation with the shed and perfect blood of Jesus Christ alone. We now, through the shed blood of Christ, have communion with God. Amen? Apart from any mediator, no priest, not Mary, no other saint, Jesus himself is now our advocate, our representation, our mediator between God and man. We now have no confidence in any other thing, works or hands, ordinance, sacraments, or religious, the have-to-dos in order to see, be seen by God. Other than Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. Anything added to Christ is simply a cheap imitation or at worst, utterly sinful. You see, the word, a word for clarification real quick, brothers and sisters. Not that we do not do good works as Christians. We do, right? Why do we do them? We do them because he is worthy of them, is he not? He is worthy of our good works. He is worthy. We do it because we love him. We love him. But we don't do it in order to get his attention. Isaiah 60, what does it say in Isaiah? All our best in order to please God is but poor, wretched, what? Rags. What do we have that God says, hmm, I need some more of that? 
Nothing. Needy debtors to grace every single day of our lives. Miracle number three, we see that the earth quakes. The earth quakes. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The weight of God's wrath shook the earth and rent rocks in two. This blow that broke the world, yes, the earth, was the weight on which God gave the final blow on Jesus Christ. The right hand of the Almighty swipes the sun and Jesus takes it all. He takes every bit of it. That was a quick one, right? Four. The dead arise. We are not sure who these were. Saints, believers of the promise for sure. We do not know how many specifically were raised from the dead on this day. We do not know if there were, they were newly dead or those being deceased for some time. However, what we do know is that the picture was emerging. At the death of Christ, and ultimately at his resurrection, we'll soon see, the power of Christ to raise the dead was already being seen. You remember what happened to Lazarus? Is my wife in here? She's not here. Awesome. You, you heard me. Did I say it right? Yes, I did. I said Lazarus. But you almost, I almost said Lazarus. Did you notice that? And then I thought about you, Misty, because I love you. Lazarus. Raised from the dead. Before Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, we'll soon see. Others have been raised from the dead themselves. And it says in, in, in verse 40, 52 through 53, that what happens, that it was seen. They were walking in the streets. Brothers and sisters, can you imagine this sight? Uncle Jimmy, where'd you, what, what? You died 40 years ago. Where'd you come from? Been hanging out. <laughs> I got some stuff I need to tell you. This is crazy town. From 12 until 3 o'clock. However, now we even see Christ himself was dead. The man himself with such authority and power was himself now dead. If any question was given as to did Jesus still have power over life and death, even after himself being dead in the flesh, this picture screams, even now, before his resurrection, a resounding yes. That's four miracles that we have at Jesus Christ's death. Now I want you to see with me the fifth miracle. You remember I told you I was going to hold it close to my chest? We have, this, we have a list of the things that have happened before us, but look with me at verse 54. And when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. I am still often overwhelmed by the reality of the miracle of new birth that Christ gives every one of us in Jesus Christ. And I'm not speaking about you this morning. I'm going to speak, I'm going to make it very personal. I'm going to speak about myself. The greatest miracle that I've ever witnessed in my entire life is that God would save a wretch like me. The greatest miracle that I've ever seen in my life is taking dead, cold men and women who hate God and have no hope apart from Christ and he, in his great mercy and grace, would call any one of us sons or daughters of God. Why? Here, in a three-hour period from noon until three, Jesus 
stands before the centurion and the centurion says, this was truly the Son of God. You remember I told you to remember that, uh, that man on the cross to his right and to his left, remember? We read it. What did it say about both of them? They both derided him from the cross. What does Jesus say of one of those men? Today you will be with me in paradise. What had that man ever had done to deserve such kindness from a God who hung on a cross and literally hours ago you made fun of him as you lie dying with him and God looks over to you in Christ Jesus and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Miracle of God, miracles. This is the greatest miracle of them all. What is the miracle here? Truly this was the Son of God, he says. Is Christ to you the Son of God? Is Christ for you not only Savior, however do you bow to him as Lord, being God? Is the great miracle of the new birth seen and understood in you? Having a new heart, meaning thinking and desires, new motivations for the glory of God and the good of others, do these represent you in our walk with Jesus Christ? But brothers and sisters today, Listen to me, I think it's very important. Let me show you a graphic real quick. Today is not Good Friday. I know, I know I've confused you all this morning. Today is not Good Friday. Today we dare not leave Christ on the cross. Today, as every Sunday, we celebrate the risen Savior. Friday is now past. The price for our sins has been paid, but today is Sunday, amen? Today is the day of resurrection. Today is the day of victory. Today, Christ is risen. Today, he is alive. Amen? Charles Spurgeon said of this reality, the resurrection of our divine Lord from the dead is the cornerstone of the Christian doctrine. Perhaps I might, I might more accurately call it the keystone of the arch of Christianity, for if that fact could be disproven, the whole fabric of the gospel would fall to the ground. It also says in Scripture that if these things are not so, that we, of all men, we who believe in hope in Christ Jesus, are to be most pitied among all men. In Jesus, in his resurrection, sin does not win, brothers and sisters. Sin does not win. Death and hell do not win. Death does not get the final word. Christ has come and he punches sin, death and hell, straightly in the teeth. I love that imagery. Because I don't like death. How many of you have ever stared into the eyes of someone dying of cancer? How many of you have ever witnessed or seen a child die? How many of you have watched the news last week and saw what is going on in Ukraine? Death, sin, and hell separation, the enemy, they don't win. If anything that this day teaches us and tells us is that he wins. He wins and therefore we win. Jesus goes into the, temp- uh, into the tomb. He walks in. 
He walks into death, the place of those who have died, literally, Sheol, the place of the dead. He walks out. He screams, I know the way, follow me. Jesus, our Savior, our King, our God, goes into the abyss and he sticks around for a little bit. He pokes and prods and he said, hey, this has always kept people here, right? No one's ever been able to escape this? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Y'all never met me. Boom! Knocks over the, 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 he can't hold Christ. He takes the keys of sin, death, and hell. The keys, they were on somebody else's key ring. Jesus goes, hey, I've been letting you have that for a while, but hey, those belong to me. And he walks out. He walks out. By the way, holding the keys. Uh, check, please. <laughs> I'm going with the one with the keys. Through Christ's resurrection, Jesus brings death, listen, to religion, death to hopelessness, death to defeat, death to death, death to the power of sin in the presence of a holy God. Yes, hell, which is true salvation. Two passages of scripture I want you to have in your heads this morning before we go. Hosea 13, 14. The prophet of old says, of Christ, the one, the foreshadowing, the points to the hope of the nation, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Hello. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. I love this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? This morning, if we have come to know Jesus Christ savingly, we are all of us men and women who have no need to fear death, sin, and the grave. Amen? For our King is risen, and He is alive. And I love something that Scott started off with this morning. Uh, if, if you're a visitor with us, we love you today. Oh my gosh, we are so grateful that you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. But for those of you who are typically here every Sunday, you realize that this morning, we haven't done much very different, have we? We're going to sing an extra song in a minute. Kyle wore a tie, which is a miracle. Miracle of the new birth. Kyle wearing a tie right behind that one. But brothers and sisters, truthfully and honestly here at College Acres, we celebrate the risen Savior every Sunday, amen? And if he's gonna get our best, he should get it every Sunday, amen? God is good. He is so good, and I am so grateful to celebrate this day with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. A day that we remember, maybe more a little bit so than other days, but specifically on this day, that we serve a king who is sitting on a throne, holding the keys, and deserving our worship and our gratitude and our love.